Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 19. I might mention that the outline in your sermon that Jacob was going to use, he didn't know that he had the flu until yesterday morning. Uh, That's not what we're going to talk about today. So the outline doesn't work. I'll give you a new outline. It's just three points. Uh, And we're going to be talking from Matthew 16 instead of from the book of Acts. This is God's Word from verses 13 in Matthew 16, verses 13 to 19. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you? Jesus asked, Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Praise be to God. That's His holy and perfect Word. Here's an outline. Simple. What is the kingdom of heaven that we just read about? Sin is our problem, comma, grace through faith in Jesus is the answer. Point three, we all get to lead others to Christ. Who gets to proclaim the gospel to the lost, the confused and a hurting world? Is it just Pastor Cohe? Is it just the deacons, or is it just the elders? I want us all to be open to a call from Jesus that He's given to each one of us this morning. In our passage, we're looking at the core issue of discipleship and evangelism, the identity of Christ Jesus. Whatever else Jesus teaches, if the disciples don't get this right, nothing else matters. The bedrock of all of Jesus' teaching is based on who He is, the very Son of God and our Messiah. Peter says the right answer, and then Jesus makes it clear that Peter did not come up with that on his own. Namely, this is a work of God in the mind of Peter and not a work of man. He calls Peter blessed because God has given him this insight. Jesus gave this promise in verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven to not only Peter, but to all believers. This is from verse 19 of our scripture. We, the body of Christ, the church, have the keys of the kingdom of heaven. That's huge. As such, we collectively and individually have been given the keys to encourage each other in Christ, 
and to bring the gospel of Jesus to those who do not know him. We have the power of Jesus to do this. We're not on our own. He has given us his name. He's given us his blood. And through his own resurrection, for our redemption, he gives us his authority on earth. Jesus backs us up on this. Matthew 28, 18 to 20, very familiar verses to each one of us. Then Jesus came to the 11 disciples and he said, Matthew 28, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, certainly, I am with you always to the very end of the age. We have the power, brothers and sisters, you and I, to speak out the Word of God, to bind demons and unholy influences, and to loose the blessings of God Almighty. Whenever we speak of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, we need to remember three things. Actually, four. I'll add one. First, Jesus is the king of that kingdom. And indeed, he is the king of kings. Second, his kingdom will ultimately be populated by all of his chosen people who have ever lived in this God-created world. Third, the kingdom of heaven and of Jesus the King has rules of operation and conduct, which our Lord gave us in order that we might increasingly glorify Him and be filled with His power through the Holy Spirit. And finally, I'll add in, the kingdom of Jesus is the ultimate power in this universe of all of creation. Jesus' kingdom is ever-expanding. We know the story like a mustard seed, a tiny mustard seed that grows into a large plant. The kingdom of God will continue to intrude upon this world. On one day, it will exercise total control over all of God's creation, thereby giving all glory to our triune God and we get to be a part of spreading the gospel, you and me. The disciples of Christ in Matthew 16 lived at a time when Jesus' kingdom was being established on earth. Jesus had already declared that individual repentance and belief were necessary to enter into his kingdom. In Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, we're told, Now after John was put in prison... Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Here it is in Jesus' first exhortation recorded in the, chapter, the book of Mark, the idea of God's kingdom appearing. Also, we need to look at the relationship between the kingdom of God and other biblical concepts related to our salvation and the salvation of, of lost people who don't know Christ. These concepts are important. The kingdom is near. God's kingdom is close at hand. 
Jesus calls his listeners to enter into the kingdom, having them having been saved by his finished work on the cross, and calling them to exercise personal repentance and faith. And this kingdom involves the gospel message of Christ, the good news that Christ came both fully man and fully divine with laser-like focus on putting to bed God's wrath, taking the, pen, the punishment for His wrath deserved for us and giving us His righteousness at the same time. We are wiped clean by the shed blood of Christ. The gospel of the kingdom of God, repentance, belief, and proclaiming God are all interacting in Mark chapter 1. Repentance and faith are indispensable to enter the kingdom of God. Hear this. We are to live in repentance and faith, both of which are gifts from God, to be a part of the kingdom of God, and to live in life-changing obedience and gratitude, and to be light for Christ unto all the world, which starts with our family members and our next-door neighbors and all the world. Paul also affirmed that proclaiming the gospel is important in order for people to be saved, that is, for them to enter the kingdom of heaven. Paul writes in Romans chapter 10, verses 13 and 14, For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Who then shall they call, how then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without someone preaching to them? So sharing the gospel is a, of the kingdom is a key aspect of kingdom activity. It's the mode that God uses to reveal information about His kingdom of eternal life and glory to all repentant sinners. Of course, there's other issues related to this passage from Matthew 16 that we cannot ignore. These issues, one of them, have been brought to us by the Roman Catholic Church which declares that only Peter received Christ's gift of the king, keys of the kingdom. Let me declare my belief that the words, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not stand against it, refer not to the person of Peter, but to his divinely inspired confession of faith. That is, when he told Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Furthermore, the keys of the kingdom which Jesus gave to Peter are not given to him individually as a reward for his confession of faith, but they're given to him and the disciples together. Ephesians 2, verses 19 and 20 says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of His household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus Himself as the chief cornerstone. This gift of the keys of the kingdom is for all of us. The difference of the interpretation is not minor. We can see what Christ says next 
to Peter and his disciples regarding the exercise of these keys of the kingdom of heaven. Verse 19, And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound on heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. There's no doubt when we cross-reference in God's Word that this promise applies to all the disciples who were present and to us. He repeats it again in Matthew chapter 18, verse 18, and the you that he says the kingdom of God, of the kingdom of heaven, the keys to the kingdom have been given to you. In Matthew 18, 18, that you in the Greek language is plural, it's y'all. Um, that's just Rich's term. It's all of you. In Matthew 16, uh, Jesus is further instructing His disciples about the nature of His kingdom, which He's already declared in Mark chapter 1 to be very near. Since Jesus in Matthew 16, 19 tells His disciples that He will give them the keys of the kingdom, it naturally leads us to say, when did they get the keys to the kingdom of heaven? John chapter 20, starting in verse 19 up to verse 22, helps us in trying to answer the question of when the keys to the kingdom of heaven were given to the apostles. In these verses, we read that on the evening, on the day of His resurrection, Jesus appeared in the midst of His disciples and He said to them, Peace to you. As the Father has sent Me, I also send you. Then He breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. The very breath of God was now on them. Jesus went on to say, If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. The authority conveyed to the apostles on this occasion is practically the same as the power of the keys binding and loosing previously promised to the disciples here in Matthew chapter 16. It's my conviction that the power to preach the gospel of the kingdom with the unction, the power of the Holy Spirit, is a key of the kingdom that was given to the disciples and also to each one of us. In both Matthew chapter 16 and in John chapter 20, there's the same result. What is done by the disciples on earth as they share the gospel message in terms of binding and loosing is also done by the Father in heaven. All authority has been given to Christ Jesus. So go. This power to exercise the keys is, of heaven is conveyed in conjunction with the giving of the Holy Spirit. That means that for anyone to use the keys properly, he and she has to have the Holy Spirit. The power of the keys of the kingdom is spiritual power. It's effective for salvation, for making us spiritually alive. We're told this in Ephesians chapter 2 and 1 Corinthians 15. Ministers who are vocationally employed in spreading the gospel and teaching and edifying and equipping us for ministry, and elders and deacons and every one of us 
do many worthwhile things through the power of the Holy Spirit. We feed the hungry. We support just laws. We tend to the sick and other things we can do for the kingdom through the power of the Holy Spirit. We who are entrusted with the powers of the keys of heaven should never forget that God has also called us to do all spiritual work, including bringing others to Christ. How? With the power of the Almighty in the gospel. We are called not to elevate one aspect of our ministry to such a degree that we ignore or even downplay the sharing of the gospel. Sharing the gospel for the salvation of the elect is our calling. It is even our highest calling. Focusing on the spiritual power of the gospel, when we share it, leads us to some questions. How are we to exercise these keys of the kingdom of heaven? What model were the disciples supposed to follow? And what are we supposed to follow? Jesus said to his disciples as the, in John chapter 20, verse 21, As the Father has sent me, I also send you. You all. Me. How did the Father send Christ? What was Christ's mission that the Father sent him to accomplish? The Father sent the Son to give life and life abundant. John 10.10 10 tells us this. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I, Christ Jesus, have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Don't you want to tell somebody else about that? The abundant life that Jesus gives to His people not only comes by abiding in and teaching and proclaiming the Word, the disciples were to exercise the keys of the kingdom by proclaiming the Word just as Christ did. So, as Christ ministers today, each one of us, we are to wield the power of the sword of the Spirit that's described in Ephesians chapter 6. What is that sword spiritually given to us as a tool in combat? It's the very Word of God. That from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. Before His death, Christ told His disciples that He would send them another helper. He said this in John chapter 14, and that this helper would teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. In verse 26, I'm not ready to share the gospel. I'm scared to share the gospel. It's the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you. You are not on your own. Christ's promises centered on the work of the Holy Spirit encouraged the apostles. Enabled by that same Spirit, they proclaimed the gospel to reveal the path to life through Christ. It's the same for us. In order for our proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom of heaven to be effective, effectively opening the kingdom of heaven for lost people. It must has as content, content and context, broadly speaking, the Word of God. If one looks at Psalm 
1.19, we can easily see that the Word of God is absolutely essential to our salvation. The Word of God, verse 25 of Psalm 119, it revives us. Verse 105, it's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Verse 41, the mercies of God for salvation come according to your word. And verse 11 says that we hide that message in our hearts so that we might not sin against Him, that we are saved by grace through faith. And if proclaiming God's goodness and Christ's finished work on the cross is to lead to repentance and faith, which are indispensable for entrance into God's kingdom, then we must tell of the person and the work of Jesus, our Savior, all the while calling lost people to repent and believe in the name of Jesus, proclaiming the gospel about Jesus and of Jesus is the vehicle that God uses in us to bring His elect into His glory, giving them a knowledge of the Scriptures in order that they may enter into a living relationship with God's King, Jesus. And He is already installed on Zion, on God's holy hill. And we rest in that not of ourselves, so that no man can boast, but in Christ's finished work. And the King that at the name of Jesus, someday every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Scripture affirms that the Word of God has the ability to enlighten people or to blind them to the truth. The gospel, when faithfully taught, opens or closes the kingdom of heaven to men. Hmm. The central figure and act of the gospel, Christ crucified from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, is foolishness to unregenerate people. Those who preach Christ's gospel are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, we are the aroma of death, and to the other, the aroma of life. As from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ to others. Verses 12 in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and in 15 from through 17, tell us of this. As the good news is proclaimed by God's appointed messengers, that's us. God's appointed messengers, souls are permitted to enter the kingdom through the shed blood of Christ alone, by grace through faith. We are called to proclaim the ministry of reconciliation in Christ to those who are enslaved by sin. Mercy and grace, election, free pardon, sin, the wrath of God, hell, the substitutionary atonement, Redemption, salvation by the death of the divine Son are not merely abstract theological terms. They are words in the constellation of eternal life and hope. Brothers and sisters in Christ, remember that the gospel message you proclaim is not an exercise in rhetoric. 
but are the words of life in Christ. Everyone enslaved by sin and death experiences in Christ spiritual liberation, and we want to be obedient, and we want to repent because of what Christ has done for us. Romans 3, verse 24, familiar term, or familiar passage. They are justified freely by His grace, sinners, justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. But if sinners refuse liberty after they hear the gospel, they remain in chains bound by their sins and cannot inherit the kingdom of God. By now it should be apparent, but in case it's not, let me affirm to you that the power of the keys does not reside in the men and women who wield them, but in the sword of the Spirit of God, the Word of life, which God has called His people to proclaim. We're not on our own in this very high calling that we have. with our families, with our friends and neighbors, and with people in all the nations. Let me conclude by restating the practical usefulness of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus, thus wonderful key of the kingdom. I don't think I can emphasize the importance of proclaiming Christ, proclaiming His gospel enough in light of its current disfavor within the world, and even our country. It always amazes me that our holy, wrathful God warns men through preaching and proclaiming of the gospel to repent and live. Remember 2 Peter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not tardy, slack, concerning His promise as some count lateness, but is long-suffering towards us not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. However, not all will embrace His grace and repent. That doesn't take away from our call to proclaim Christ, always. Yet, I believe no one hears the gospel and rejects it can justly say that they were never given a chance that they were never warned, that they never have an opportunity that was presented to them to receive life in the kingdom. Every time a saint faithfully proclaims or preaches about Christ and redemption, repentance, faith, keys of the kingdom are being employed, and all who hear are encouraged to choose life in Christ. As God told His people long ago, Deuteronomy chapter 30, I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life, that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, for He is your life. Herein lies the seriousness of proclaiming the gospel today. Eternal life or death is at stake. This is urgent. What a tremendous joy it is for sinners when they truly repent and believe. 
For the gospel frees them from the devil's bondage and gives them eternal union with Christ. Do you believe in Christ? Hallelujah. Your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. Come with me and worship God's Christ in fellowship with His people. Thank God for the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God for giving us life in Him. Thank God for giving His people, us, keys to open His kingdom for sinners. We get to proclaim the gospel. Can you see that Christ, through His finished work on the cross, His bodily resurrection and His ascension into heaven, have proved His divine truth that comes from Matthew 28, verse 18? You know this? He said, all authority in earth and heaven has been given to me. I believe that. For a sinless man to die for me and for you, for him to bodily get up from the grave to prove that death had been defeated, and through his bodily ascension into heaven, where a man who is both man and God sits at the right hand of the Creator, and Redeemer and Sustainer. Can you see that Christ Himself has given each of us the keys to the kingdom of heaven? Powered and emboldened by the Holy Spirit, we are given the strength, the power, and courage to share the gospel with others that desperately need it, not because we have to, but because we get to. Romans 10, verses 8 to 10 says, The Word is near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith, and are saved. How awesome it is that we've been saved by grace through faith, brothers and sisters in Christ, and that we have been given the keys to the kingdom. There's a lot of awesomeness here. We've been given the keys to the kingdom so that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to tell this good news to people that need it. Are you ready to share the gospel? It is both a privilege and a joy. Let's pray. Father, thank You that You have empowered us through Your Holy Spirit, the Counselor who is with us now and to the end of the earth, the third person of the Trinity, Almighty God. Father, not that we have to under any duress, but our hearts and our chests are so full of joy that we can't keep it in these bodies. We need to tell others about Him. Him, our Savior, our Redeemer, our Messiah, Christ. And I pray all of this in His most holy and precious name. Amen.